Our first reading is from Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Thanks be to God. This is his word. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a huge crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier. They were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come by your Spirit, that you would give us all ears to hear your voice. And as we hear, change our hearts. For your sake. Amen. Well, this morning I'd like to ask you what I think is a tantalising question. And the reason I think it'll be tantalising is that it's a question I've been asking myself for a little while, and and I find it tantalising. It was sparked by somebody I heard speaking recently, a chap called Mark Batterson, who was the main speaker at the New Wine Leaders Conference. And the question was this, what if you are one decision away from a totally different life? What if you're one decision away from a totally different life? A couple of weeks ago, Carol and Mark were one decision away from a big change in their lives. 
No one has sent Carol to her new parish she's going to. She had to decide herself whether to stay at St Matthew's for another year or whether to take up a new opportunity where a door had been opened for something new. And of course, we are very sad that they're going, but we're also glad for them because she's grasped that new opportunity. And both Carol and I have seen God's hand on the move. In an amazing way, he's moved a number of people from one role to another within the Reading Deanery, and as a result, this opportunity seemed just right. In other words, God's calling her to a new thing, and she's grasped it. So back to the question, what if you are one decision away from a completely different life? Now, please don't misunderstand me. I really do do not hope that all of you make a decision to move away from St. Matthew's, like Carol, because uh, that would make me very sad, and I'd probably get retired early. But to help you consider the question, I'm going to attempt to do three things this morning. I'm going to suggest to you that God himself is always doing a new thing. I'm going to suggest that God made us for and longs for us to be part of the new things that he's always doing. And I'm going to, the good news is that this doesn't involve doing more things or different things or extra things. It simply involves a change of perspective on the things we already do. You see, the problem, I think, is that we... Is that we don't always see all the possibilities. We don't realise what God is doing. And so it's easy to think that nothing's ever going to change. It'll just be the same old story and we get stuck in a rut. But I'm going to go to at least three points in the Bible to show us that God is always doing something new and that he wants to include us in what he's doing. So, firstly... I'm going to start right at the beginning of the Bible. One thing we can all agree on, I'm sure, is that God is, in his very nature, creative. He created the entire universe out of nothing. And, you know, whatever you personally believe about creation and the time it took and and all those sorts of questions, both the Bible and science agree on the starting point, which was nothing. Most scientists believe that just before the universe came into existence, there existed nothing. No time, no space, no material, nothing. And then God said, let there be light. And the scientists tell us there was a big flash of light. God created at school and university, I did maths and science. I was a sort of maths and science person. And so ever since I've been a Christian... It's always been satisfying to me that things, for example, in the creation account, um, the order of life appearing on the earth, which goes from, uh, in Genesis, which goes from plants to fish to birds to animals to humans, is exactly the same that science finds when it digs up fossils. And I'm one of those people who doesn't see any conflict between Christianity and science. As the man who was known as the father of physical astronomy, Johann Kepler, was often quoted as saying, science is simply thinking God's thoughts after him. And the one thing that's so evident in this beautiful world that God made is his creativity. God is always doing a new thing. Who would have thought of creating 350,000 million galaxies, each with 100,000 million stars? Who would have thought of putting 3,000 
different species of tree within one square mile of Amazon rainforest. Who would have thought of constructing in a caterpillar's head 228 separate distinct muscles? Or spiders that can create 60 feet of silk in an hour? Or human beings that grow seven feet of nose hair in their lifetime? No, you probably, it's too much information, isn't it? But the fact of the matter is, God is amazingly creative, isn't he? We only have to look around us to see that. But the question many people ask is, well, yes, but, but did he just sort of set it all up in the beginning and now it's kind of running down like a battery? But of course, the Bible shows us that that's definitely not the case. The Bible shows us that God is always doing something new. He called Abraham and sent him to a, a foreign land, a new place, a bit like Carol going to Whitley. He called Moses to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea to the promised land. He raised up judges and kings to lead his people when they went astray. And when they still went astray and it was clear that they were incapable of being obedient to him, he did a totally new thing. He sent us his son. God came to earth in the person of his son Jesus to save humanity from the mess we got ourselves into. And that's where we pick up our gospel reading. Because this extraordinary 30-year-old man who walked the dusty roads of Galilee at the beginning of the first century, he started to say things and do things and teach things which no one had ever done before. In Jesus, God began to do a totally new thing. And the totally new thing which Jesus told almost everyone he came into contact with, which he said was very good news, was that the kingdom of God was becoming a reality. That God's rule and reign in the world had begun in and through the person of Jesus. And what happens in this story is a sign, an indication of God's intention towards the world. Just a few months earlier, Jesus had announced in the synagogue in Nazareth that he'd come to bring good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and set the oppressed free. And I wonder how many people there are here this morning who are maybe feeling oppressed by all that life is throwing at you. Or maybe you feel that you're in material or spiritual poverty. Your faith is wafer thin, just clinging on. That you can't see the wood for the trees and you you need a vision of what's ahead. Or perhaps you feel caught between a rock and a hard place and you need to be set free. And on this particular day, it was a widow who probably felt her whole world had fallen apart. In Jesus' time, there was no social security. This woman, having lost her husband, had now just lost her only son the one person she probably loved more than any other in the world, and certainly the only person in the world who would have guaranteed her provision for later in her life. And when Jesus saw her, we're told, his heart went out to her. He knew this was the darkest day of her life. She was now without family, without means, without hope. Now the Gospels tell us that Jesus healed 
hundreds of people of every kind of sickness and disease, that he delivered dozens of people from evil spirits, but he raised just three people from the dead. And this widow's son was one of them. Driven by sheer compassion, without any encouragement or plea from the widow, from the mother or onlookers, Jesus does something so surprising, so staggering. He stops the funeral procession, he touches the beer, which is the stretcher that the dead young man was lying on. You will have seen them in, on the television when, in, in Gaza when Palestinians are in a funeral procession. They just, it looks just like a stretcher, the dead person lying on top. And he goes up and he touches this dead young man. And in doing so, he raises him back to life and brings joy and hope back into the life of the widow. And the people recognise that this is supernatural. They praise God. They say, a great prophet has appeared among us. And they say that God has come to help his people. God is doing something new. When Jesus appears on the scene, it's always a game changer. And the question that I'd like to ask you next is, what situation in your life as you sit here today, do you really need Jesus to come and do something new in? Because he wants to be involved in our lives. In our home group, we've just started a new study called Fruitfulness on the Front Line. It's a brilliant study, and it's all about how we live out our Christian lives on our front lines. In other words, the places we spend the majority of our time. For many, that's the workplace, it's the office, it's the school gate, it's out in the community, it's managing a business, it's in our families. And if you want, you can buy the book. It's it's by uh, Mark Green, it's a very, very good book, but it's fun to do it in the study because we can all encourage each other week by week to be fruitful on our front lines. But the premise of the study is this, and the very good news it suggests is that We don't have to work harder or do more things or extra things in order to live out our Christian lives. We simply need to get on board with what God is doing in the places where we already find ourselves. And it's teaching us that no matter what job we do, whether it's in IT or finance or education or working on a building site or in a hospital, 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whatever you do, Do it all for the glory of God. It's such good news. We don't have to do special things or extra things in order to lead great Christian lives. We simply have to do ordinary things for the glory of God. Because the world is God's, all of it. And he simply wants us to join in with him in the new things that he's doing and creating and restoring. And that's great news. Because it says that the things we already do, the places we already work in, are good places to live out our Christian lives and to make a difference in the world. You know, I think a couple of weeks ago, uh, a couple of you may have felt a bit condemned for not mowing the grass when Chris said he'd caught me mowing the church lawns. But guess what? 
I would far rather you were living out the gospel in the places where you normally go than that you felt compelled to come in on a weekend to mow the grass. Sure, the jobs need doing, and they will get done, but my first encouragement to you would be to invite Jesus into your workplace, your front line, your family, your school, wherever your front line is, and watch him raise dead people back to life. Because he will. One person who did Alpha recently said that a year ago they couldn't see the point of life anymore. And today they're experiencing life that Jesus brings, life to the full. Fifteen years ago, a man called Chris, who lives in Johannesburg, got a call from a businessman friend of his who was travelling from the UK, who invited himself to come and stay And on the Sunday morning, Chris took the plunge and invited his non-Christian friend to his local church, who went along out of politeness and ran headlong into Jesus. Today, that businessman is a vicar and he's standing in front of you. God is always doing a new thing. That morning, Chris was fruitful on his front line. Just a thought. When you have friends or family to stay, do you invite them to church? Might they, one of these days, accept your invitation out of politeness and run headlong into Jesus? Sometimes we're scared to ask God to do something new because we're afraid he might not. And that might wobble our faith or make us feel a bit worthless. Or maybe we're afraid that he might do something new. And that might challenge us. Our lives might get a little bit interesting. And in the middle of the previous week, not this week just gone, but the week before, we had just two people signed up for the new Alpha course, which started on Tuesday this week. And and there's absolutely nothing wrong with having two people, because we had a fantastic Alpha course last term, and we had two people on the evening course. But if I'm honest, I wanted more. And I started praying for 12, just three days before the course started, thinking this is a ridiculous prayer, but maybe if we get six, that would be good. (laughs) Shows how big my faith is. And on Tuesday night, we had nine, and there are three more people who say they're going to start this Tuesday. And so we may have those 12, and I'm so encouraged. (laughs) So wherever our front lines are, one of my front lines is Alpha, but I believe that if we dare to ask God to show up, he will. We'll see him doing a new thing. So God is an amazingly creative God. He gave us this extraordinary world. He knew we would mess it up, and when we messed it up, he sent us his son to usher in a new kingdom. And as we cooperate with him today and his Holy Spirit, incredibly, extraordinarily, he uses us, you and me, to bring his new kingdom into being. And finally, as we read in our first passage from the book of Revelation that Andrea read, one day he will complete the renewal of our world. As heaven comes to earth and we experience the total healing, the total wholeness, the total joy, the total love in the presence of Jesus. That's the good news that Jesus brought to the world, to the widow at Nam, 
to me and the little church in South Africa, to Bob and Charlotte and Charlie and others on last term's Alpha course, to a new group on this term's Alpha course, and which he can bring into any situation that we might face in life. I know of a woman who's facing something like that widow at Nairn this morning. Her husband was rushed into hospital yesterday. He'd been found completely unresponsive at home. I think he's only in his 40s. He's got young children. And uh, he's fighting for his life. We prayed for him last night. He's doing a bit better this morning. And we're inviting Jesus into that situation. And asking him to do a new thing. So this morning, as you come up for communion, as you come up to share in the bread and the wine, as you remember the new things that Jesus did when he laid down his life for you and for me, and remember the new life he proclaimed in his resurrection, and the new life he brought to the widow at Nairn, and remember the new things that he's done in your life in the past, I'd ask you to bring with you those situations in your life that you are facing right now that you desperately want Jesus to change and transform. Whether that's healing that you need or hope or you just have a deep sense of thankfulness for 40 years of wonderful marriage or a loved one that you'd love to see them discover the joy of Christian faith or a relationship in trouble Whatever it is, bring it up with you. When you come to communion, bring it up with you. Offer these things to Jesus in exchange for his body and his blood and invite him to do a new thing in your life. You might be just one decision away from a totally new life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to bring hope and freedom and healing, forgiveness, comfort. Lord, we offer ourselves, our our very lives back to you and we say, come and do a new thing. Show us how you want us to be involved in what you are doing. Give us a new perspective. Change our hearts to be like yours. We ask in your precious name. Amen.